coming up this week off screen. Matt Damon is the Martian. Michael Fassbender goes Shakespearean in the Scottish film. And Robert De Niro goes back to work in The Intern. All those to come and more off screen. This is This is Off Screen. Off Screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Carter. My name is Case Allen. So should we start with the intern then, Case? Yeah, let's start with the intern. It's Robert De Niro and uh, it's Anne Hathaway. Can I just take a minute, by the way? It's very nice to have you back, because I had a week away on the show with Calvin. Yeah, but Cal- um, how was that? How, how is he? It was, it was a barrel of laughs. He's always yeah. a delight. Uh, but you know what? I, I just miss having you around my partner in crime. Oh, you know how sir. You, you flatter me. And now we're back with a Robert De Niro film. So yeah, what, yeah. What, what could what could be better for our reunion, you think? That's it. Devil Wears Prada times two. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's the weird thing. There is a lot of overlap with The Devil Wears Prada in this one. So this is written and directed by Nancy Mayers. Is it Mayers? Mayers? I, I would say Mayers. I would say Mayers. Yeah. Uh, written and directed by Nancy Mayers. Uh, stars Robert De Niro as a recent re- recent retiree. He's also widowed. Um, because he is widowed, he doesn't know what to do with his time. As he puts it at the beginning of the film, um, the, he was always under the belief that you retired and then you spent the time together as a couple. And however, when the couple is no longer a couple, when death has you know torn them asunder... He's left to his own devices and he doesn't quite know what to do. So he stumbles upon an ad for a senior citizen's internship program, which he readily applies for because he frankly just misses having something to do. And then he goes and finds himself the sort of, in a would be PA of sorts for the young put upon boss of a young, of a new startup, uh, played by Anne Hathaway. And an unlikely bond starts to form between the pair. Friendship <laughs> develops as you would expect. Mm. And of course, he is a clip. So you're on Facebook, huh? Well, I've been trying to figure it out. I joined about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> well, better late than never. You want some help? I'd, I'd love some, but really, you've got better things to do. No, I need a diversion. You have a photo of yourself? No, I need one. Ah, if you want to look up all those hotties from high school, you do. Say cheese. Cheese. That's cute. Okay, I just need to send that to you. Uh, all right, so there are all these questions for your profile that you can answer if you want to or mm. not, like religious views, political views, people who inspire you. Jules Austin. <sighs> I'm not trying to brown nose you, but I've been in business a long time, and I've never run across anyone quite like you. You do inspire, Jules. I just knew at the end of the day that a woman with a glass of wine and a laptop had real shopping potential. Do you have a favorite quote? I do. You're never wrong to do the right thing. Who said that? You? Yeah, but I'm pretty sure Mark Twain said it first. So Robert De Niro and Hathaway, the intern. Do you, do you have any thoughts on this one going in? Were you expecting a lot from this? Do you think? Well, I I haven't seen this one. I've seen I think all of Nancy Myers's other films. Do you know what's funny? It's weird. When you yeah. laid enough me, I can never remember which ones are hers. Uh, when Harry Met Sally's hers, isn't it? No. I always get her and Rob Reiner confused. Her, Rob Reiner, and Gary Marshall confused. <laughs> Rob Reiner did when Harry Met Sally. Yes, uh, but Nancy all. Myers did uh, something's got to give. Which is Diane Keaton, Jan Oxen. And more impressively, What Women Want. Oh, of course, yeah. Remember when Mel Gibson I was do. a movie star? 
Yeah, oh. those, those were the good old days. Mm. So you've got the inter, which you know Robert De Niro is is fully awake in this one. You, that makes a change, doesn't it? Credit it's grudge match. He's, he's yeah. fully awake. Um, he's a lot of fun in it. He's doing good. that thing that he does quite well, which is I'm just going to be the gruff faced straight man, as as it were, mm. and I'll respond to the absurdity of the youthful tech based world. So you know you've got you know twenty something guys saying bro and fist bumping and things like that, and you've got Robert De Niro in the middle of them being like. <laughs> I don't get what's wrong with you kids. You know, kind does, of does he do like a fist bump at the end of a film? He, no, no. He does a bit early on where a guy does the fist bump thing to it and he does like two punches to it instead. Amazing. <laughs> so you kind of have to have that gag. Yeah. And then you've got um, Anne Hathaway who is playing Anne Hathaway. You know in that way that you look at Anne Hathaway and you don't see a sexy screen starlet. You see clearly the smart girl in her class at school. Hmm. The teacher's pet, as it were. And she's playing that here in that sense. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's not a very challenging film. It's very predictable. And it's very soft and gooey. and it's an easy watch. Yeah, it is an easy watch. Yeah. Um, but because it is so easy and unchallenging, it, it does threaten at times to become a little boring. <laughs> and uh, it's just not that it's boring. It, you will smile and you will laugh occasionally. But you will just feel like it's being phoned in. And and because everyone involved in it has done this so many times, it is being phoned in to an extent. It's just being phoned in by people who can make really good phone calls. If you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's, that's, <laughs> that's perfectly sums that's it the up. best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, like I say, you'll laugh. And there are moments where they give you these little fleeting glimpses of you know something slightly more profound. Like mm. there is a moment, and it's a trailer moment, in which Anne Hathaway uh, talks about how men have gone in a single generation from being A to B. Yeah, and you think, I remember oh, that. The, and, and that goes on a little bit longer in the film, but not long enough. That you would. He says we used to have like gentlemen like like Clark Gable and those kind. Yeah, and Harrison Ford. Men, and, and men were men. This. Yeah. yeah, and there are there is a, a great moment in which she says, you know, how is it that uh, women evolved from you know being housewives effectively to being career women in a single generation, and yet men have sort of formed by the wayside in that regard. Mm. Like, okay, yeah, there's something really interesting to say there. However, that's all that gets said on it. And it's a real shame because, I mean, the film's enjoyable enough, but it is unthreatening, it is unchallenging. Mm. And like I say, phoned in, but a really good phone call. So should we do some film news then? Let's do some film news. Let's do some film news because it has been a busy week. Shall I I give you the really harsh news first? (sighs) Sock it to me. Right. How old is Helen Mirren, Case? Off the top of your head, do you know? She's in the early 70s, isn't she? Oh, I was going to say late 60s. Late 60s. Is she, she doesn't look it. Anyway. Well, Helen Mirren has, uh, well, Dame Helen Mirren, sorry, we'll give her a proper title, has announced that uh, in her twilight years, she has now retired from screen nudity. To use her quote, no. to use her exact quote, she is retiring the girls. <laughs> and to use another quote, her pleasure pillows are now only for her husband. So yeah. that is both the best and saddest news. It is in a way. Like, yeah. You're kind of glad because you know, in one sense, it is. It's, it's a, it's a seventy-year-old lady. Yeah, seventy-year-old woman has kind of she's earned the right, I think, to uh, you know put the twins away, so to speak. No. Um, but you said like, this woman pioneered screen nudity. She really. did. <laughs> when was the first? Was it sixty-nine? Something it was like something that? like that. And then I think no, Age of Consent was the first. Uh, yeah, first movie she did. but she's she's been quite prolific. 
She yeah. has. She's some of the most iconic I think screen the, the cook, the wife, and her love and his lover. Yes, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. And of course, Caligula, because that <laughs> came course, up, yeah. that came up in the announcement as well. Because she said when we did Caligula, mm. it was oh, we're being shocking. She goes, now you see that at eight o'clock at night and Game of Thrones. And it's, it's hard not to agree. But she's kind of pioneered it. So. She has. Good for her. She's paved the so. way for Lena Headey. Of <laughs> Lena Headey's uh, stunt lady. She, she yeah. is taking over a little bit, isn't she, mm. Lena Headey? <laughs> so, uh, oh, speaking of Game of Thrones as well, George R.R. Oh. R. Martin, right. everyone's favourite uh, taxi driver hat wearing. <laughs> is it a taxi driver hat? Fisherman's hat? I. It's it's kind of like a tugboat cap. It's like an old timey stagecoach conductor. It is like yeah. like a, a steam train conductor, yeah. Yeah, and he wears yeah. like the dungarees as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has uh, he's had to go on and debunk a series of rumours that have come up that uh, he that he has been misquoted. Mm. Uh, the rumours have come out of a misquote that he has said, "Oh, there'll be a Game of Thrones movie." No, there won't. No, and it doesn't need to be. Not at all. Um, and also, could you imagine if someone hired George R. R. Martin to write a movie? Oh, you'd never see a screenplay. No, you'd never. No. no, we'd be dead before they actually produced a screenplay. <laughs> you'd have to like cryogenically freeze him. <laughs> you really would. You'd have to freeze him until voice recognition had just reached. Until you could, you until you could think your thoughts onto the page. Yeah, you yes. can tap into his mind. <laughs> there is that. So, um, of course, there's the Ghostbusters news. We got to talk about that. Mm. Sony have announced development of an animated Ghostbusters movie. I used to love that show. The 87 yeah. one. Great. Do you know who, who oversaw that series? I don't know. Right, because you're going to love this. Right, The man who oversaw the Ghostbusters animated series in 1987, uh, through to its conclusion in, I think, about 1993, which is way longer than I thought it went on mm. for, was none other than J. Michael, J. Michael Straczynski, who was, the, who, who was the showrunner and writer of Babylon 5 and wrote the Thor movie in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> he, no he wrote amazing, the, the amazing Spider-Man comic books. Bring him back, yeah. Bring why him back, not? Yes. But uh, he also wrote Sensate, I think, with the uh, Wachowskis. Oh, I've just started watching that. Yeah, I've yeah. not seen Pastor Pilot. It's okay. So far. it's got Tuppence Middleton in it, so I will check it out at some point. I'm a big fan of big fan of, uh, of Middleton. So uh, let's see what else we've got. Then one more piece, I think. Oh, the walk. We're going to talk about the walk. Oh yeah, of course. You heard about this? It should come with a health warning, apparently. It, it, vertigo, is it like vertigo it, it's and like vertigo nausea? Yeah, vertigo and nausea. This if you watch it in three D, yeah, yeah. IMAX three D apparently, it, and, and this is apparently being put down to the most backhanded compliment you've ever heard. It's a combination of the stereoscopic three D and Zemeckis's technical wizardry. <laughs> to which you think, you know what? Fair enough. I felt nauseous after the Polar Express. I'm going to say from the director of Beowulf. <laughs> After Polar Express, I felt rather ill, but I don't think it had anything to do with the with uh, the three D. I think uh, Christmas Carol is much worse. You, you think Christmas Carol's worse than? Terrible. Uh, oh no! I, it was Polar Express. Me, I hated that film so so much. <laughs> right? Should we look at the box office top ten? Then? Let's do the top ten. Number ten. We have Bill. Bill, which is hanging yeah. in their second week. Why not? I'm a big fan Good of it. it. Yeah. I, I can say it is my favourite movie about anything to do with Shakespeare that's out at the moment, <laughs> which we'll get to in more detail later, because I genuinely did sit there through Fast Better's Paul and say, actually, I kind of wish I was watching Bill again. So that is a controversial preview right there to what's, what's to come. <laughs> kind of is. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's a lot of fun. Matthew Bainton uh, is a lot of fun in it as the young Shakespeare. Uh, there's a great cameo from Damien Lewis in there as well. <laughs> And uh, I forget the name of the actor who plays uh, King Philip of Second of Spain. 
Um, and they always have this King yeah. Philip II, I think they called him at one point. <laughs> but I think it's a lot of fun. I love Helen McCrory's uh, version of Queen Elizabeth at one point. I think that's absolutely yeah, terrific. That's some good casting. Right? It is really good. Yeah. It's such a pretty voice. You know, I think it's great. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm not really overly familiar with the horrible histories, but uh, I I, I'm, I'm intrigued by it now, having seen this film. You should definitely go back and watch it. Number nine. We have Pixels, which I have now seen. Have you now seen Pixels? I've seen it. It's back back in, isn't it? It's come back it's in. It's come back with a vengeance. I definitely agree with you. My point about it is, why does Jane Krasowski only say nine words <laughs> she in does, the title? Doesn't. Is she the first lady? I can't remember. Yeah. Krasowski. She is. Uh, I do think it, it, it's a harmless family film. It, it's nothing yeah. more than that. I don't think it's meant to be anything more than that. And Adam Sandler has dialed it down. Although, I do maintain Peter Dinklage is so completely wasted in it. Absolutely. You just think you could have gotten this would have been funnier if it were Vern Troyer or the the, the, the guy who plays the Genesis assistant in Scrubs. Oh, that, uh, oh you, you know that him guy's Randall? Name. I want to say Randall. He plays Randall in Scrubs. Yeah, he's in a lot of things. He, I do he not just know his pops name. Up, he just it? pops up. Number eight. Oh, it's still there. <laughs> what you got? The Empire Strikes Back. Oh man, again! How I never thought you? I would feel this way about no. one of my favourite all-time films. Oh, well, you see, you, you won't have caught this. Uh, last week, Calvin did decide to inform us that he'd actually tried to go and see uh, Secret Center's Empire really? Strikes Back. And he found out that the tickets would have cost him 80 quid. Pass. And Yeah, that's kind of me too. Just stay home, watch it on Blu-ray. I love, though, that he did he did actually list a costume as one of his requirements for, for going. He factored it into the cost of the total. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why? What was his costume? I, I didn't the... ask. No, knowing, <laughs> better to just knowing Calvin, it's probably seven. an Ewok. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's so expensive. Old fake fur. Number seven. M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the child raps. Ooh. Oh, the child can rap. That's how we know there's something wrong with the grandparents because they claim to like it. Nobody likes it, kid. Not nobody, <laughs> not know how. Um, <laughs> it's more of a Blumhouse film than it is a Shyamalan film until you get to the very, very end and there was this just ghastly, bolted on sort of emotional coda. And uh, I don't know. The, the grandparents uh, are, are, are fairly enjoyable. In it, um, it's it's the grandkids who are just awful, it's and it's the writing is so bad. The sort of it relies too heavily on jump scares to the extent that you're like, is this Shyamalan really? Yeah, has, has he written it as well? I, I believe he's co-written, but uh, no, didn't do anything for me. Sadly, it's, it's just another Blumhouse film. Number six, straight in, we have Solace. Why is this so high in the top ten? Right. Have you seen this? No. Have you had the I don't, pleasure? I don't want to watch it. I did text you after I saw it, didn't <laughs> yeah. I? Wow. Um, <laughs> where to begin with Solace? It is awful. It is so painfully bad. I sat in a room full of critics, and when it got to the end credits, and the words executive producer uh, Anthony Hopkins came up on screen, Alan Frank loudly proclaimed, That explains it. And you think, yeah, actually, that kind of does because you can always tell when when an actor has produced the film there because the film is awful. It's so bad. And you've got Jeffrey Dean Morgan who's doing that. I'm the lantern jawed, grizzled cop thing. I'm yeah. the dime store Javier Bardem. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yes, he's the dime store Javier Bardem. And you've got Abby Cornish who's just like, you couldn't afford Alicia Vikander. Yeah. And Colin Farrell. He just had like a weekend free off True Detective. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Farrell just had a weekend free. And Anthony Hopkins who just really wanted a thriller again. And you're mm. thinking, 
Well, congratulations, Tony. Because, sorry, Sir Tony. Because all you've managed to do here is change the change the spectrum. You've managed to readjust the spectrum of the Anthony Hopkins thriller quality level from fracture at the top end to the right at the bottom end. No, the right has now moved up to the middle of the spectrum. Solace has now moved to the end oh, of the spectrum. That is rough. That is rough, isn't it? Unfortunately, it deserves it. Number five. Inside Out. Non-mover. He's still in there, isn't he? Yeah. It's, it's great. What he's left to say about this film. It is terrific. And I love the cast. I love Bing Bong. Um... I love Bing Bong. <laughs> the foot is down. The foot is down. <laughs> Number four. Okay, this is straight in. Uh, miss you already. Which I liked very much, actually. Yeah, I thought you might. I, I, I did like it. Because it, it, yeah, it was one of those, it made you laugh, it made you cry. Sometimes it did at the same time. <laughs> it had Paddy Considine being a very charming Paddy Considine. It had one of the greatest male, male responses to childbirth sequences I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> Which, if I tell you it involves Skype, to explain. I tell you it involves Skype and an oil rig. Does that kind of give you an idea of how... I'm trying to piece those two very different things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Skype and an oil rig. Okay. Um, you've got Dominic Cooper, who... I, I, I want Dominic Cooper to be a star one day, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think we shall see him in better roles after Preacher comes you, out. You think? Yeah. I hope so. I, I think he deserves it. And I say this because I'm such a huge fan of The Devil's Double. And then, of course... Great film. I love it. It was my film of 2011. Mm. And then, of course, you've got um, the central duo, whose chemistry is... On-screen chemistry is brilliant. Mm. And they, they, they play the dialogue really with the, the, the snappy banter really, really well. And you actually do believe them wholeheartedly. Like, they have to be a friendship off-screen because it's... Just such a good relationship. Number three. Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials, slash Divergent, slash Beautiful Creatures, slash City of Bones. Well, the only thing that scorched was my ass after having having <laughs> sat on it for such a long period of time. On and on and on. And then they walked to this place, and then there was a zombie, and then they walked to this place, and then there was a drug, and then they walked to this place, and there was a mountain with some people, and then they walked to another place, and Patricia Clarkson turned up, and then they walked to... You described it like a really, really boring Walking Dead meets Lord of the Rings crossover. It kind of has. Walking in zombies. It kind of has that effect. And it does. There are moments where you do feel like, if, I, if anything, it's more twenty. Uh, World World War Z. When it turns to zombies, it's more like mm. World War Z. Okay. That, that's that's the thing to compare it to with the zombie side of it. But then, of course, you've got the divergent side of it as well. Where I'm just so bored of it because I swear to God, for the first twenty minutes, I couldn't tell. Hang on, which mythology is this? Is this the one? <laughs> is this the faction one? Is this or? the one where they've been walled in the city? And, and everything outside is dead, or is, is, hang on, is that the one I can't tell anymore? Is there an evil capital? Well, was, of course there is, because there isn't. There's always an evil yeah. capital, but was the first movie the one that had Kate Winslet in it? Or was it, oh no, that's Patricia Clarkson. It's hard yeah. to tell because they're both blonde middle-aged women. And, because you know, that's apparently how a dystopia is run. Yeah. You get a blonde middle-aged woman, you stick her in charge, and then she's evil, and then, and then a bunch of teens yeah. do the thing, yeah. Right, and that conversation we just had, if you had it for two and a half, two and a bit hours, would genuinely be more interesting than watching the Maze Runner Scorch Trance. Number two. Sadly, I still haven't seen this uh, legend. You've not seen this one? No, Tom Hardy Squared. Tom Hardy Squared. It's like yeah. a cartoonish Scorsese movie. <laughs> that's the, that's <laughs> I'm fine with that. So it's a cartoonish Scorsese movie. Yeah. The worst thing about it, I think, is the voiceover. It's got mm. this horrible Emily Browning Emily Browning voiceover. voiceover, yeah. London in 1960. Now oh. everybody knew the craze. And you're like, why don't you speak <laughs> like that in the film? If that's you narrating, why do you act she with just a completely She just grew up into voice? Barbara Windsor. 
it yeah. is. Like, <laughs> you see her in the film and she's perfectly fine. And then she does the voiceover, which she presumably recorded six months after filming ended. And you're like, why are you putting on this god-awful carry-on voice? And then, of course, you've got Tom Hardy, who is as fun as you would expect. Although, as a very, very strange consequence of it, you find yourself liking, I think it's Reggie, more than Ronnie, because it's the first time Tom Hardy is in a long time that Tom Hardy has come close to playing something resembling a regular guy. <laughs> and you're like, wow, there's a lot of novelty yeah, to this. He can like, actually do that. Yeah. He's a normal person. Because <laughs> even if you look at something like This Means War, you know, he was still a super spy. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I need to watch that again purely for the paintball no, sequence. No, you don't, because I it's love a that paintball G sequence. Song. Oh, but it's a McGee film. Don't don't lower yourself. You say that I want to watch the first Charlie's Angels movie again because that whole news last week about. I'll Elizabeth just wait. Banks. Yeah, I'll just wait until the Elizabeth Banks reboot. Yeah, fair. Number one, and our number one is uh, Film Everest. Have you seen this one yet? No, still not. I'm, you still I, not. I, I'm gonna try and watch it in big eye popping IMAX. You're gonna try and watch 3D. it in eye popping IMAX 3D. Well, yeah. we live in Sheffield, so you've got about a month I'm to gonna... wait. So <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll be having the the walk. Won't they? So. Oh, yeah, they will. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's no IMAX screen in Sheffield for the next month, so we've got that to look forward to. Oh, yeah. yeah it's being refitted. Mm-hmm. Never mind. I-, I wanted to see The Martian in it, and I was I was denied this because of damn workmen. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, Everest, Everest, which visually terrific, you know, they, they filmed a mountain and some weather really, really well. Good for them. Credit to them. But character-wise? Character-wise, uh, thinly written archetypes, a lot of wasted actors, particularly the likes of, for instance, Kira, the, the female cast are woefully sort of cast aside. Look at mm. Kieran Knightley and Robin Wright. But Robin Wright, you start thinking, it's like House of Cards never happened. <laughs> You know, she gets nothing to do. She gets about two minutes towards the end of the film where she has something to do. Mm. And even then, she literally phones that in. And I do mean on the phone. And Easy paycheck, though, isn't it? Easy paycheck. Yeah. And you kind of know you know where you're going to stand with it going in. You know Josh Brolin's going to be playing this character. You know, you, you know, you know yeah. Jason Clarke's going to be... You know the archetypes, be, yeah. You know the archetypes. And the actors are cast according to those archetypes. So there's not really much of a stretch as far as that goes. And then, of course, there's the story, which... It's an interesting enough story, but it takes far, far too long to get to the damn point. I mean, it's a two-hour film. It's an hour and 15. Which I want to see an avalanche. I just want to, I want to see some disasters. Hour 15. You, you have to put up with an hour 15 mm. of just nonsensical character stuff in the meanwhile. I don't care about some guy who's school, you know, local school kids paid to send to the mountain. Is that, that, is that the Jonathan Hawks character? That is in yeah. the fact, yeah. You see, not even seen it, you, and I just, you yeah. Said, you knew it. When I that knew it was John Hawks. Of course you do, because that's who that character, yeah, that's yeah. exactly the character you would give him. But you know what? <laughs> it's not that it's a bad film, and I will, I, I think I will eventually watch it again. Hmm. It's the kind of film I would show my parents on a Sunday afternoon, and I'd get them the 3D Blu-ray, and they'd think it was amazing. <laughs> But I'd be sat there in the back of my mind thinking, oh, I'm watching this again. A bit overlong. Should we have some more film news then before the break? Yeah, let's uh, do a couple more bits of film news. Oh, you said there was something about Thor Ragnarok, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, okay. So go on, go they, on, lay it on me. Okay, this is crazy news. I is this cray cray? It is cray cray. <laughs> so uh, you're familiar with uh, uh, What We Do in the Shadows? Very much so. I was a very big fan of it. Great film, vampire comedy, amazing. Vampire um, mockumentary, wasn't it? Vampire mockumentary, yeah. yeah. The director of that has been tapped to do Thor Ragnarok. Uh, oh, right. Taika Watiti is his name. Taika, he is Taika yeah. Watiti. I was I was practicing. That. Was it, well, I, 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 when I when I first encountered the film, I thought it was Taika Wakiki. <laughs> Taika Wakiki. It, it, it's Watiti, yeah. isn't it? But he's is, he's is been he actually in it? the film. Is he one of the actors in the film? He is, isn't he? Yeah, he plays 
the like the kind of 18th century dandy. One. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great, isn't <laughs> yeah. he? Vigo, Vigo, like I think he's Vigo. Yeah, Vigo. the 18th century dandy. Yeah. But this is just this is kind of like classic Marvel now. Find like like an up and coming or somebody who's yeah. having like successful like small indies and. Yeah, making them work for them, which is well, interesting. you say that, because that yeah. nicely segues into the next bit of news, which is, there was a report this week which has shed some light on something of a recent Hollywood mystery, specifically involving Rupert Wyatt. Oh, now, of course. Now, if you remember, yeah. Rupert Wyatt recently dropped out of Gambit, the X-Men spin-off starring Channing Tatum. Mm. Channing Tatum. Yeah, Channing Tatum, or Chantay-Tay. As uh, John Colson and Kelly Nido and myself refer to. Um, now, the, the thing is, this isn't the first time that Rupert White has taken on a project and then left it suddenly. There was also the Alexander Litvinenko uh, drama. He, he dropped out of that. There was uh, Agent... Is it Agent X or Agent 13? I can't remember. With uh, Charlize Theron, there was that as well. I think it's 13. He was going to do um, The Second Apes as he well. He was going to do Dawn of the Planet of the Apes as well. Yeah. And, uh, well, he's dropped out of all of them after signing on, and it's always remained a bit of a mystery as to exactly why. It's usually, they usually give scheduling conflicts, you know, that, that old chestnut. That old chestnut, yeah. Well, now it's come out that, in actuality, it's because he doesn't like working to committee. If he can't deliver his vision, hmm. he doesn't feel confident in taking the role, and he would rather give up and walk away than deliver something that he doesn't feel is perfect in his mind. Yeah. You know what? Fair play to him. Works for David Fincher, doesn't it? Yeah, it works for David Fincher. Yeah. Why not? That's why we haven't got a David Fincher, Steve Jobs movie coming out. Yeah. Well, that and they didn't want to pay him an extortion of that. Money. Yeah, we didn't want Christian Bale to do it. Exactly. Yeah. But he also, I'm sure he demanded something like 30 million for it. It was something. He demanded something really good. Something crazy. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. And we're back. So, what do we got to come next? Then, should we uh, should we take a look at uh, the Scottish film? The Scottish film. We're not allowed to say the name because we don't want a curse to be fallen upon. Our we do houses. not, do we? No, we do not want <laughs> to be cursed. So, we've got the Scottish film, uh, based upon William Shakespeare's the Scottish play, starring <laughs> Michael Fassbender, the German actor. <laughs> Is he, he German-Irish, Michael Fassbender? Uh, he is German-Irish. He's German-Irish, yeah. isn't yeah. he? Uh, yes, we've got the Scottish film based on the Scottish play starring the Irish-German actor and, and the French lady. The French lady. <laughs> and the French lady. So we're really getting... Uh, and, and then it's all directed by Justin Curzel. Uh, I'm not particularly familiar with he Justin Curzel. He is Oregon. Australian, I think. Uh, so it's from the Australian director. I think it's in New Zealand or Australian. Okay, should we say, should we say Australian? Australasian. Let's, let's, let's cover <laughs> yeah. our bases. We'll cover bases. Australasian. So, I remember when you were in school and you had to learn the continent, you're like, oh, it's yeah, Australasia. You've never used that term no. ever again in your life. And that, that's why, because it's nonsensical. Anyway, <laughs> now we have finally used it. So, of course, the Scottish film is the, the story of... Can we say his name in that context? A Scottish man. A Scottish man with a famous name. Played by Michael Fassbender, who elects to, who decides, basically, it is his destiny to kill the king, as it were. Played by David Thewlis in this version. And he is, of course, egged on by his own wife, Lady, Scottish name, played by Marianne Cotillard. And, of course, madness ensues. Here's a clip. What are these? Live you or are you that man may question? Speak if you can, what are you? Macbeth, 
hail to thee, Thane of Clams. Macbeth, hail to thee, Thane of Cawdor. All hail Macbeth, that shall be king hereafter. Don't you love a bit of Shakespeare in the morning, Case? I certainly do, and <laughs> the Scottish play yes. is my favourite. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Thank God. I'm so glad you said that, because it makes this review just a little bit easier. Yeah. Right, you've seen the film. You saw the film last night, didn't you? No, no, you didn't. Sad, sad, sadly, not. But I've I've seen other versions. You've seen of other this, versions. Yeah. Oh, so I thought you were going last night to see this. That that was a plan. That was the plan. Fell through. That's fair enough. Yeah. Plans fall through all the time. <laughs> um, right. So my uh, my thing with this film, right? It, it it looks it looks beautiful. It is shot so so beautifully. It it toes the line between. I'm trying to think how nicely to put it. <laughs> it it toes the line between a Lumiere, Lumineers video and, uh, and a Ramstein video, if you can imagine such a thing. I would love to, love to hear can, a mashup. Can you, can you imagine what? Can you can you picture what I'm? What I'm They'd be like there? banjos and mandolins, and then Tillendemo with a flamethrower would come in. It's got that slow mo 4K style battle sequence yeah. aesthetic, and then at the same time, it's got the. You know, soft focus HD shaky cam with some lens flare in the background, kind of an aesthetic. And then other times, it's quite grandly painted. It's it's framed as if it's a classical painting. Mm. It's stunning to behold. I I can't deny that. It is, without doubt, the most visually stunning Shakespeare adaptation ever. (laughs) Seriously, ever. Ever. Now, that sounds like hyperbole. It's not. This is it. This is the most stunning Shakespeare movie you will ever, (laughs) ever encounter. There's no other way to describe it. And you know what? It's helped by the wonderful performances of everybody involved. Terrific performances. Great performances. Paddy Considine, Michael Fassbender, Marianne Cartier, David Thewlis. Jack Rayner turns up and yeah. gives a good performance. The kid- Who'd have thought that could happen? Yeah. yeah. Transformers Age of Extinctions. Jack Rayner has turned <laughs> up and delivered a great Shakespearean performance. Here's the underlying problem with it, however. And it's less to do with the film and more to do with the source material. And the problem, very simply, is if you are not inclined to like the story before, this is not going to win you over. Because although it's in a pretty package, and it's the prettiest package, literally the prettiest package anyone has ever made out of it, it's still not going to win you over because... It is it, the story is still the story, and we can't under you, you can't undervalue the importance of the story. The story is everything, and if this story doesn't grab you, and the manner in which it's told has never grabbed you, mm. this is not going to change that opinion. Now you say you are a fan of it, you'll love this. Yeah, you'll love this because you already love the story. I find it when people say that they don't like this story. <laughs> I just. As, as strange as it sounds to me, I, I'm 50-50 on, on, on my Shakespearean terms, my Shakespearean yeah. stage work. I, uh, I, there's some I like and there's some I don't. And I, like, For instance, who doesn't like Othello? Othello's great. Othello's great. I love Othello. Yeah. I, I think it's very difficult to make a bad version of Othello. But you're going to prove me wrong now, aren't you? Who's I've made forgotten a bad version? the lead. Oh, is it O? Oh, oh, yeah. was it all with Josh Hartner? Yeah. Well, that's when you're contemporising it. But hmm. uh, having said that, though, I did really like Coriolanus a few years back. I did. Um, just quick side note: when I saw that, forty-two people walked out. It was a preview screen. The people we just had couldn't have conversation at the time, didn't we? Yeah. People just could not hack it. I don't know why. I was savage watching and counting these people leave. I spoke to Craig Stevens from Sky Movies before I saw this film, and um, he, he he described the film to me as, "Oh, it's a hard watch." It's a really hard watch. I'm like, okay. I went in and I saw this and I thought, I can sort of see what he means. 
But it's no more difficult to watch than I would yeah. have expected of any sort of Shakespeare. You should have asked him if, if he was like if, if he knew Shakespeare. He like, did say so. he did do Macbeth at school. So you said it. Oh God! Oh no! Oh no! Oh, no. Sorry, it's out of the bag. Yeah, the date to me. Right. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> the curse is reversed. The curse is reversed. The curse is reversed. It's fine. I'm just going. I'm hoping Blackadder is factually accurate. Anyway, <laughs> right. So, uh, but no, I, I say I like the film. I think it, on its own terms, it's terrific. I think on a general cinematic term, it's also impressive. But I think on an audience enjoyment term, it is really subjective. But I think it's the, it's subjective in that way that all Shakespeare adaptations are. Unless you then start using contemporary language, in which case you open it up to slightly more mainstream accessibility. But I think it does limit itself by sticking to... It would have been quite interesting. I would have liked to have seen how this would have played with contemporary language in it. Well, we've seen that kind of thing before. I would have been intrigued, given the visual yeah. aesthetic of this and the performances involved. I would have been genuinely intrigued to have seen how it panned out with contemporary dance. I think it would be interesting one day if someone makes one of these kind of films and does both. Yeah. And she just makes a film twice. <laughs> That'd be a bit... Oh, get, get like Baz Luhrmann on the phone yeah. and get him to... Could you imagine? That would be quite an interesting, wouldn't Roman it? Julia, yeah. And then just put it out there and say to people, right, you decide which one you like better, or just alternate scenes. Be, yeah, you could do like a mashup. Do a mashup film. Oh, that'd be quite interesting. So, should we have some film news then before we look at uh, our final film of the week? Yeah, let's do some more. So, I mean, there's been a fair amount going on there's this some, week. Some moments, um, there's Playmobil, of course. Oh, I can't uh, wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is all right. Everything is just okay. Everything's not awesome, but it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, Playmobil, Robbers, Thieves and Rebels is the name of the film. It has now gone into production. That's a great title. Yeah, can't that. Rebels, why not? Um, this is one I quite like as well. Sarah Chalk, best known as Elliot, Elliot. in Scrubs. I had a who, big, big have, crush on her. Who didn't? Man. Who didn't? She was such a dork, but she was so adorable. So she was, she, in fact, she was adorkable before Zoe Deschanel made it cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, she is going to be joining Jennifer Aniston, Julia Roberts, and Jason Sudeikis, and most bizarrely of all, Jack Whitehall, in Gary Marshall's upcoming Mother's Day, which is going to be... It's another day film. It's another day film. Who's Jack Whitehall there? It's going to follow... I don't don't know. I don't know why Jack Whitehall's there. Do you think he might be playing a kooky offhand Brit? Uh, I think he might be correct. I think it's possible. Uh, So this is going to follow on from, is it Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve? New Year's, yeah, New Year's Eve. Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve, that's it, there's only two of them, isn't there? I thought it was another one. No, I think this is the third, isn't it? I think there's just like kind of wishful thinking. I heard there was only two of these things. The Age of Ultron deleted scene. This is a conversation worth having. This Thor's jacuzzi. This is Thor's jacuzzi because yeah. this makes no sense in the film, and I and I'll be honest, I have taken the mic somewhat since the film opened by saying, "Why is it that Thor can fly from you know middle mid middle uh, heartland of America, midwestern America, to London, hmm. stopping off to pick up a hoodie along the way, but he still needs Stellan Skarsgård to give him a lift to the cave? <laughs> what, what 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 is that? Why has he done that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why can't? Why does he need Stellan Skarsgård to give him a lift? And Congestion charge for like putting money together. It's it's quite possible. Right. (laughs) There is a deleted scene on the Age of Ultron DVD that now apparently explains this. And it is explained by the line, if the water spirits accept me. Which gave Calvin such such uh, (laughs) cause to flip out, if you remember. Um Apparently, the water spirits possess Thor in the deleted scene and relay information through him, which, of course, he delivers 
to Stellan Skarsgård, yeah. thus explaining Stellan Skarsgård having another purpose besides merely giving Chris Hemsworth a lift to the cave. There we are. There the we question are. is Done. finally answered. I knew it's been keeping everybody awake at night. That's it. We all <laughs> it really know. Has. So shall we have one more then? We'll uh, we'll uh, we'll look at so we'll just sh- just one more. We've got a couple of really juicy ones though. Mm. I'll tell you what. I'll, g- I'll give you two. I'll give you two. How about that? Oh, you spoil me, sir. First of all, Kong Skull Island. Oh, is this a casting? This is a casting thing. Go on. This is like double brilliance for you. Oh no, I do know. Oh oh, yeah, I know. Kong Skull Island Mm. has now added to its ranks John Goodman and Thomas Mann. Yes. John Goodman. John Goodman, perhaps best known as that sitcom actor from Roseanne. And (laughs) (laughs) could you imagine if that was the case? It's like saying William Shatner's best known for Boston Legal. Hey, he's amazing in Roseanne, but oh God, all but, yeah. the supporting turns that man has done. Incredible. And of course, uh, Thomas Mann, who's, I think, one Great to watch after uh, yeah. Me and the Dying Girl. I think he's, yeah, mm. like we said at the time, he is one to watch. Mm. And uh, they have both joined the cast of Kong Skull Island. And cool. the best part is, do you know who John Goodman's playing? I don't, actually. He's playing a government operative working for Monarch, which is the shield-like yeah. organisation set up in Godzilla. So, could oh, John yes. Goodman be our Nick Fury? Hmm. Oh, that'd be good, yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting? Sign him up for multi-film Or will he turn contract? up in Godzilla 2 in aged makeup if the 1970s Kong rumours are true? I would see a fight between Roseanne, Roseanne's husband, Godzilla and King Kong. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Dan, that's his name, Dan. Yeah, Dan, it yeah. is Dan. Okay, so one final piece, because this, be, this can't be left anymore. Vin Diesel has taken to Facebook to reveal, Again. yes, to reveal that Fast Eight is in fact the start of a final trilogy of Fast and Furious movies. Meaning that by the time this series one is done, one last ride, and then one more, and then then one again, <laughs> one last trilogy of rides. <laughs> there will be ten Fast and Furious movies by the time we're done. Uh, well, we are going to have a conversation when we say, "I'm coming up next." We have Furious Ten. We're going to have that conversation. We are going to have future. that conversation, dear. God, Fast Furious X. Do you think? Yeah. We heard the X Fast X Furious. We've done it. We've cracked, Let's do it. We've cracked the code. Get on the phone to Universal right, right now. now. Okay. Yeah. Right. So one last review then for the week. One last. I love this film. I, I, Just I, I, this so film. did I. I love yeah. this also. So Ridley Scott is back. He is back with an adaptation of Andy Weir's The Martian, written mm. by Drew Goddard for the screen, and boy does it show. Starring <laughs> Matt Damon. The story is. The Ares 3 mission is stationed on Mars when a severe weather front hits, evacuating in a flurry of chaos. One member of the team, astronaut Mark Watney, is struck by debris and seemingly killed. When the rest of the crew take off into space, Watney, however, discovers he is in fact not dead, which would seem like cause for celebration were it not for the rather small fact that he's been stabbed through the abdomen and left on his own on Mars <laughs> with enough food to last him, is it 30 days? Um, or thir- 30 souls. 30 or... souls, because they're called souls, souls yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a solar day, isn't it? Soul, yeah, yeah. Soul, soul Roundabout. Day. Yeah. To last him 30 days. It's going to take NASA four years. <laughs> if, yeah, so right. when, they find, when they find out he's alive, it will take them four years to get there. Um, so he's going to have to survive somehow. And he is, in fact, the last man, not on Earth, but on Mars. Here's a clip. No, no. If Watney is really alive, we don't want the Ares 3 crew to know. How, how can you not tell them? They have another 10 months on their trip home. I'm sorry, but you have not thought this through. I mean, what what are we going to say? He's 50 million miles away from home. He thinks he's totally alone. He thinks we gave up on him. I mean, what does that do to a man psychologically? 
the hell is he thinking right now? I'm definitely gonna die up here if I have to listen to any more god-awful disco music. My God, Commander Lewis, couldn't you have packed anything from this century? So the Martian, take it away, Case. I never thought that's a film where somebody grows potatoes on Mars could be so enjoyable. <laughs> Seriously, this actually generates tension out of the growing of potatoes. <laughs> and that's the thing, because when the film's over, yeah. you'll never look at a potato in the same way again. But, yes, it was great. Absolutely amazing. No, I was a big fan. I mean, there's a moment in, in which, he, in which uh, a very dour-faced Matt Damon simply just just tell because he narrates a lot of the film to his video log and it's a, it's a great storytelling mechanism it works really well mm. it doesn't feel too tacky it should but it doesn't yeah. and I think a lot of that is Drew Goddard's writing which is very glib and Matt Damon's very in tune with the tone that's being mm. that's being shot for and the combination of Drew Goddard's uh, writing and Matt Damon's just general demeanour is perfect but there's that moment in which he turns to the video log and says ah <sighs> Seven days since I ran out of ketchup. Yeah. And you feel for him. You think, yep, you really okay, do. yeah. He's there with his potato. potato. <laughs> <laughs> Vicodin. And uh, I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant film. Uh, it mm-hmm. uses all of the sci fi chops that Ridley Scott has demonstrated so aptly over the decades. And incidentally, it is the first great film Ridley Scott has turned out in a decade. I mean, Sin's gladiator, I would say. I was going to say Kingdom of Heaven. But, uh, oh, I don't really like Kingdom, you know, Heaven. Kingdom of Heaven. No, not, not a fan. Okay, so 10 for me, 15 for you. Fair enough. Yeah. So 10 years for me, 15 for you, yeah. Um, and that's the thing, it, it's perfectly cast. Even the minor roles, even very, very minor roles, yeah. are just brilliant. And Benedict Wong, who should be I just... Know. That could be a nobody. It's, it's just such a non-role. I, I first yet... saw him in one episode of the IT Crowd. That was really? the first time I saw Benedict Wong. Was it the Countdown episode? It was, yeah. It, it, was. it plays Prime. Benedict yeah. Wong, I know from the series 15 Stories High uh, with Sean Locke. Oh, was he right? He he was his flatmate, if you remember. And I think he, I, I've been a fan of his ever since. He's actually in Prometheus, if you remember as well. He's one of the crew in Prometheus, yeah. um, which I presume is the Ridley Scott connection. That's a connection there. from there. And uh, there is a little bit of overlap. He in does a really good part in this as well. He like like that's it. Everybody's so well serviced in this. Exactly. Minor roles are cast so expertly, and they're not name actors, but they are sort of recognisable. Yeah. They are. Oh, people know. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of them is Troy from Community playing Abed from Community. <laughs> yeah. Strangely, and then you've got yeah. Kristen Wiig in this very it's like a media, yeah. yeah. But what, what I really liked as well, and I don't think gets quite enough credit, is Jeff Daniels as the the head of the NASA, head of NASA yeah. who's in. I'm, I'm loving Jeff Daniels as post newsroom uh, performance now, yeah. because he seems to have tapped into a new style of performance in the newsroom that he's carrying through to everything. It seems to be the case in Steve Jobs. I've not seen it yet, um, and it's definitely the case here where he has this performance from the newsroom, which he he's relaying through now, and it works. Mm. This sort of sage, sage yet cynical sort of demeanor. Yeah, at the start of the film, you don't really know how to take him. Really, I thought he was. I don't, I don't know. Like I thought it was going to be some kind of subplot where he doesn't like Mark Watney. I thought it kind of comes like out. That, and, yeah. Yeah. But of course, we have to talk about Matt Damon. We yeah, have to. We have to. Yeah. Um, how good is he in this? He's so good. This might be my favourite Matt Damon. I think it's yeah. mine. It's definitely mine. It's um, up there. It's his humour. I mean, because a lot of the film is literally, it's an all by myself performance. It is Matt yeah. Damon on screen on his own. It is a one-hander. Talking to a camera. One-hand, yeah. yeah. And there's just a moment in which he's just driving along with a plutonium rig, sat behind him, <laughs> listening to disco music, and it's just delightful. Oh, the soundtrack. 
we have to talk about the soundtrack. That soundtrack yeah. is amazing. I had Starman stuck in my head for about a week <laughs> after. That is the best use of Starman I have ever heard. It is really yeah. good. But I say, between uh, Scott's helming, uh, Goddard's screenplay, Matt Damon's performance, and the performance of everyone else in there, I mean, the likes of Michael Pena, uh, Jessica yeah. Chastain, Sebastian Stan, Axel Henney, yeah, Sean Garth Bean. Yeah. yeah, Sean Bean. Who, Sean Bean did plays... Did anybody know Sean Bean was in this? He plays a character called Mitch Henderson, which is a great space name. It is, isn't incredible. It? Yeah. But did anybody know Sean Bean was in this film before they saw it? That's what I want to know. No. <laughs> Nobody. But he's very good in it. He is. He's very good in it. Yeah. You bloody coward. <laughs> you know? That was I, on point. <laughs> I, do. I love Sean Bean because Sean Bean is, for me, the greatest attempt anyone has ever made at portraying a, a, a Yorkshireman in ancient Greece ever. Because I forget, who is it he plays in uh, in, Troy? in Troy? I can't remember. Uh, I, I just, is he on the side of Brian Cox? Is he on Brian no, he's Cox's on the side team? of Achilles. I just remember at one point. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember at one point hearing Sean Bean just, oh, yeah, all right, Achilles. And thinking, what? <laughs> all right, Achilles. <laughs> all right, Achilles. You know, it's just, that's a great moment. <laughs> and, but yeah, there is that great moment in this where it's like, you're a bloody coward. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, See what you can do, or two. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've never given that impression again. And Chewy Tyler, before we got to mention Chewy Tyler. Yeah, he's very, very good in this. Yeah, and oh, and uh, Mackenzie Davis, whom I was a very big fan of, although I refuse to believe mm. that anybody that attractive genuinely works at NASA. It can't happen. She's she's a bit of a fox. She is a bit of a fox, isn't yeah. she? In that way that clearly a sci-fi writer thinks people at NASA look. You know? yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, it's f- brilliantly written. That third act has so much tension in it. It does. Um, yeah. the, the 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 sort of attempt the the, the, yeah. the third act the third act sort of rescue attempt sequence is fantastic. It will have you thinking. That's it. Is yeah. he going to make it? Is he not? I, I don't know. I've not read the book. I, I don't know. In that like, end third act, that is when the real kind of like emotional heft comes in with the crew. It really and that's does. that's when you feel it. And there is, there is a great sort of aspect to it because uh, there's a moment that for me defines the film. And it's a moment in which they discover, uh, NASA discover obviously that Matt Damon is alive. It's quite early on. And they say, I wonder what's going through his mind. Like, what would that do to a person? What must he be thinking at this moment in time? Cut to Matt Damon just looking depressed, listening to disco music, saying, I am definitely going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I am just <laughs> definitely going to die if I listen to any, any more, more of this music. <laughs> I will not turn the beat around. No, I will not. Oh, <laughs> and I love it. And I, I want to see the film again and again and again. again. This is in my top ten of the year. Yeah, with, straight with, off the with a bullet. With, it, it's yeah. in there. <laughs> with, with, a deep, with a whole depressurizing bullet, it is straight in the top ten. <laughs> But uh, no, I'm definitely. Fun. I'm giving it film of the week, definitely straight in. For, yeah. for me, it's, what it's, over over the Scottish film? It's better. It's better than the Scottish film, I believe. Um, and just for being Ridley Scott's best film in a decade or decade and a half, depending. Half, depending on for me, that's great. Yeah. So uh, what have we got next week? Then we've got some look. Oh, oh, we got Sicario next week. Finally. Oh, looking forward to that. Yes, yeah. this is my first film on Monday morning. So Sicario with Benicio and Josh Brolin, Josh Emily, Brolin Blunt. Emily Blunt. We've got Red Army. Have you heard of this? I've not heard of it. This is a documentary about communist Russia's state-sanctioned ice hockey team. I can't wait for that. That's That's a premise. That's a good, uh, yeah. And we have Judy Greer and Natasha Lyonne in Addicted to Fresno, which I just love that title. It's a good title. Uh, Suffragette, in which which Carrie Mulligan declares she can do anything a man can, except apparently smile. Uh, We've also got the documentary The Nightmare. 
from the maker of God help us, Room Two Three Seven. Oh, I hated that. I was so who thought I'd be so bored watching a film about The Shining? No, I never thought I would either. I actually had to pay money to see that one. As did I. Showroom? No, I watched it at a place in Bristol, and I remember paying twelve pounds for an adult ticket. Ugh. Which makes it even more. I think it was six quid in my case. Um, (laughs) It's the worst six pound I've ever spent. Uh, We have also got the Ethan Hawke Emma Watson thriller Regression. And last but by no means least, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt goes for a walk. Don't look down. The walk. <laughs> but remember, if you're going to see it, do take your Dramamine beforehand. So, we don't forget to check out onscreenfilm.com's competition section for all the chances to win all sorts, all sorts of stuff. We've got Cooties DVDs launching Monday as well. That's a great film. Uh, it is a great yeah. film. We're going to put a review, we're going to have a review out for that on Monday as well, because you're only allowed to review it in a certain window, you see. Oh. They have to give you permission. We have to be. We have to. Yeah. So we've got uh, the Cooties review going up along with that competition on Monday. I will say, do enter, enter, win the film, Mm. watch it, and fall in love with it the way that Case and I have so deeply. So this has been Candy Store Production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. My name is Case Allen, and we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com.